Hello, friends and family. Welcome to the Sober as Dope podcast. I'm your host, Pop Buchanan. And today we're interviewing an interesting fellow by the name of Daniel Spencer. And I'm going to read Daniel's bio briefly. And then we're going to bring Daniel on the Sober as Dope podcast. Hello, I'm Daniel Spencer. And I'm interested in telling my story on your podcast. I've been through hell and bags, abused marijuana and alcohol as a teenager into my late 20s. I've been married almost 20 years with three kids, one adopted niece, all teenagers, almost divorced, total body transformation. I was almost 300 pounds and now I am 155 pounds and under 10% body fat. I was in a near-death electrical accident twice with third-degree burns to my face and multiple skin graft surgeries. I found my purpose in life to tell my story and share my healing process through physical fitness and strict diet. I am now an online life coach who is helping fellow humans gain their confidence and gain mental strength through the same miracles morning process that I've adopted. Hopefully you can help me inspire more people through your platform. That's in Daniel Spencer's words, ladies and gentlemen, and we're going to bring the man and myth and legend on. Daniel, how you, are you? Welcome to the Sobers Dope Podcast. Hey, how's it going, man? Thanks for having me on. You welcome. You welcome. You look good. I like that shirt, man. <laughs> Thanks. All right, cool. Yes. Reminds me of an NFT. I'm in NFTs. That looks cool. Um, so, okay. Daniel, well, welcome. Thank you for finally coming on Sober's Dope to share your message. Again, I'm Pop Buchanan. Sober's Dope been around for about four years. We helped over 10,000 people hear our message, and we're really excited. I love your story, and I want to really dive in a lot on the physical fitness side. Um, and I want to use you as a quasi expert to the community on how they could transform their body and beyond addiction. Um, but before yeah. we start, um, I just wanted to, you know, for you to tell the community in your own words, um, how you dealt with addiction, um, teenage addiction into adulthood and how you overcame that. Yeah, I started, um, with, with, as a teenager, um, Boredom, boredom and uh probably not knowing how to really deal with um with pain um from my parents getting divorced right it, it my parents got divorced to hit it with us um pretty suddenly like there was no signs of it no signs of relationship problems uh it was just one and um and boredom really um i mean i played high school sports but it was always just kind of maybe just a way to deal with things emotionally, not, not really having a real outlet, you know, um, to deal with the emotions. Um, then that carried on to drinking, um, after high school. And, um, when I start, I stopped, I stopped smoking weed really because, uh, I got a job with the city of LA and they started doing random drug tests, um, cause I had a commercial license. Um, but then that's when, I started drinking more alcohol, right? Uh, really started drinking a lot more and uh, started eating a lot worse and um, gained like, man, over a hundred pounds, probably gained about a hundred pounds. And um, when, with my wife, um, I mean, she would always tell me, you're drinking too much, you know, you have a problem. And, and I always saw it as you know not that big of a deal because i would still get up and go to work i i'd come home i'd you know do family things um but emotionally you know trying to talk to her i wasn't present 
you know, I would play with the kids, but you know, when, when you're inebriated, you're not really present in the moment, right? You're not really there for the real things that matter. Um, so having conversations with her was just me being stupid, not really listening. And, uh, it, it, you know, divorce was on the table a couple of times. Um, and when I really had the realization that I needed to quit drinking was, um, it was a Super Bowl party and uh, I had my kids with me there. Um, it was when the super, the Packers beat the, the Steelers and it goes 2000 and 2005. I remember 2000. I don't know. I, it's, it's been, it's been quite a bit of years, man. And I, I know you just celebrated 10 years. Congratulations. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, I think it's been about 12, it's going to be about 13 years in February since I quit drinking. Uh, you know, my wife was at home and I was at a Super Bowl party. I took my kids. It was at my brother's house and my niece and nephews were playing with my kids all day, drinking, eating, and um, the party's over. And, you know, instead of calling my wife and saying, hey, come pick me up, um, pick me and the kids up. And, uh, and I didn't. Um, I, I strapped the kids in the car seats and I drove home. Um, it's about a 25 minute car ride. And I drove home and I got home and so Daniel, so you were saying mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And at that point where you got the, you have this drink in your hand, you just, you know, you drove your kids home inebriated, you put it all on the line, you was putting it on the line daily. So you're sitting there with your drink and then you have this revelation. So can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yes. Um, I, the whole time leading up to this for the past couple of years, my wife's been telling me, you need to get help. You drink too much. Um, and I would brush it off, like I said. But then that moment, when I realized like, dude, you know, worst case scenario, somebody gets hurt. Um, I didn't go inside and talk to her. You know, the person that's my closest friend, my best friend that I should be able to tell everything to. Um, my, maybe my ego wouldn't let me go in there. My pride wouldn't let me go in there and tell my wife, you, you're being right this whole time. I need help. Um, I ended up calling my dad and he didn't answer the phone. And uh, I called my brother. He didn't answer the phone. So then I called my uncle and uh, the whole time the phone is ringing. I'm thinking if he doesn't pick this up, um, I probably won't change. Right. And, um, so he picked the phone up and I woke him up. I could tell, you know, I woke him up. It was probably 10 30, 11 at night. And I was telling him what was going on. I said, I have a drinking problem. I've, I've been hiding it. And, uh, and I, I just realized right now, like I need help and I don't know what to do. And uh, he said, who do you have for your insurance? And I said, I have Kaiser. And he says, call Kaiser tomorrow and check into their program. He goes, they have a substance abuse program. And so that's what I did. I went, I went on um, the next day. I went to Kaiser and they tried to keep me there. They wanted me to do their inpatient program. Right. And uh, I said, I can't, I can't miss work. I was an apprentice at that time. 
I said, I can't miss work. I still got to show up for work. I got to be there daily. And they said, well, I mean, you want to be sober. You want to get sober? I said, of course, but you know, I can't miss work. If I have a certain number of hours off and they can drop me back to class or there'll be punishments. Uh, so they said, well, we have nightly classes. You can come in Tuesdays and Thursdays. I believe it was from 6 to 8 p.m. So that's what I did. I went uh, twice a week. I went for about three three months. Um, and then right after that, it was they had AA, um, like from 8 to 9.30 or something. And I, I went to AA. I went to one or two nights. But um, I didn't, for me, I, I just, I didn't like the structure of it. Um, I liked the way the substance abuse program was kind of set up and, and going through that was, uh, was another experience in itself, right? Hearing all these other stories of sobriety and people having withdrawals and, um, really hard drugs. You know, there was a story where one person had their sister was held hostage by their dealer because she owed him a bunch of money. And wow. I was like, man, like you, um, yeah. And, and. I had this other realization in there, like, man, you have a great life. You know, you have a wife, two beautiful children, uh, a promising career ahead of you with, with, you know, one of the best departments in the city of LA. And I mean, straight up, you're just acting like a bitch, man. Like you can't just handle this problem. Um, <clears throat> but I think it was just, it just grew, you know, I think it's just one of those things that grew through me, grew in me through time, right? Not knowing, not knowing how to deal with pain, internal pain, um, emotional problems. Um, when me and my wife got married, you know, we were young, I was 21 and she was 19, mm-hmm. had a baby right away. And it was a whole new lifestyle. You know, I went from, from being single to, to having an apartment with my brother and partying, you know, every other night, not really caring about much. Um, to when I met my wife, I didn't want to leave her sight. You know, I didn't want to leave. I wanted her next to me the whole time. And if I think if it wasn't for me and her, man, I, I, you know, I don't know what would happen. Right. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the night that I, I had that realization was after I drove home with my kids, you know, that's a lot. Them. That's a lot. I'm glad you caught that too. You're a good guy. Cause it would have went over some people's head. It wouldn't even dawned on them that they did this thing with their kids in the car, right? They probably right. would have been like, got home and then something else would have been a revelation when that's it. That's the exact thing yeah. that you should be aware of, endangering the welfare of others. Um, did you tell your wife about that or that, that was one of the things you didn't mention at the time? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, she she knew, you know. Okay. She knew every time, every time I went out, um, I, I was drinking every day. Yeah. Uh, after work, I'd leave straight from the yard and go straight to the liquor store. And it was uh, a half pint of rum, 20 ounce Coke and two tall boys, you know? And, wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. And I, I'd, I'd finish that on my commute, you know, I would spend about an hour and a half, two hours on the way home from traffic. Cause I was, I live in the Inland empire, Southern California. And, uh, at that time I was working on the West side of LA and getting off at four, six o'clock. The traffic's horrible, you know, right. boredom, you know, I'm like substance abuse like just they don't go well you know they don't i i can relate i remember when i was um out of college i was working for geico direct in long island new york and you know i I lived all the way in washington heights and i was working in um 
um, Long Island, and it was like a three-hour commute. I mean, I had to take like a Long Island railroad, then a one-hour train, and uh, it was crazy. So, the, you know, of course, the Long Island railroad, it was customary. They served the bid. You go come on with your bid. Oh. No one would look at you. You know, it was a normal thing. You know, you could buy. They had like their little concierge. They didn't care. So I would have my beer. I would stop at the bar. So by the time I got home, I was stewed. And it's just that normal thing. You're right with boredom, boredom and just dealing with that. Uh, <laughs> most people don't understand that those two things, even the acceptance of alcohol uh, these days is something that frightens me because it's packaged as something to relax and something to decompress you and something to help you through the tough times when it has no health benefits. It's a neurotoxin. It's a depressant. It depresses your nervous system. It incites um, a depression and mental health. It could yeah. fuel mental health systems. And you mix that with a little bit of sadness, boredom, unresolved trauma from childhood, well, a couple of bad arguments in a relationship. And next thing you know, your brain changes and you're off to the races. So yeah. I don't sometimes we blame ourselves, but they don't do enough in society to protect us. And there's not enough information out there. So you and I are helping someone today because they come across this and say, oh, that's me. But I, I don't think I have a problem. And that's when we talk about functional alcoholism. Like, what does right. that look like, really? Like, are you really functioning? And are people around you are just accepting the misbehavior and the debauchery and pa and framing it as, oh, it's just having a couple, just blowing some steam off. I think it's all a bunch of crap. And I'm, gl I'm glad I snapped out of it. I, right. I got so bad where it wasn't no functional. It wasn't functional. None of you need help, you know. Um, until I lost everyone, everything, and totally hit rock bottom. Thank God you didn't necessarily wow. hit a total rock bottom, but right. you had this epiphany and this realization. Um, and it was, and I don't want to discredit any part of it. Rock bottoms don't always look the same, right? You was at your wits end. You was done. And I think to a point to where you are sitting outside, you're not being honest with your wife and you're driving your kids around inebriated. That's a form of rock bottom too. It's emotional also. So thank you for sharing that. Um, is it any connection in your family, a history of alcoholism, where you just a standout person? Or was it just you, or was it some? No, yeah, it's 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 always been there in the family, you know. Um, I, my um, I'm Mexican, you know. Mexican families, you know. I mean, I don't want to generalize everybody, but you know, when we got together, it was always we're celebrating, we're celebrating with alcohol. When when we're sad and we're mourning, you know, we're doing that with alcohol. Um, so Same it was always here. just, yeah, it was always just thing, right? Like it's going to make you celebrate or it's going to make you feel better when, you know, it doesn't make you feel better. It's going to make you feel worse. It's going to, it's going to prolong, um, that healing process. It's, it's going to make the celebrations turn into something wrong because some, it's going to trigger somebody a certain way, like you're saying. And for me, uh, I never got violent. I never got angry. I was just, I always try to use it to try and make me happier, I guess. But I mean, there's other people in my family where, you know, they have a few drinks and, and they think they're Muhammad Ali, right? They want to start spending <laughs> yeah, on everybody. So. I know, I know. And you oh. know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's detrimental, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it breaks a lot of our families up. Right. And, right. And I mean, that's, that's not really something that people might realize that that is the problem, right? They say, well, that he just acts like that. That's just the way he is. But no, I mean, that's probably the root cause of it. 
Right. When did when you found your recovery, did it spill over in any way? Mine's did. It, it affected people around me. Like now it's less alcohol is really little to no alcohol around and it's not the central theme anymore. It seemed like that was the central theme. We would celebrate around alcohol. And when I found my sobriety through time, you would see like at Thanksgiving, it was like non-alcohol um beverages around. And it was like one small bottle of wine that my sister, man, they had like a sip and then it was just there. Like they, someone had a glass and it was just there, but usually it would be like Smirnoff, Bacardi, all of this stuff. And so did that affect your family in any way? Um, your recovery? Yeah, it did a little bit. Um, when usually, like I said, when we got together, like when my dad would come visit and we'd get together either at my house or my brother's house, it was, oh, what do you want me to bring to drink? Uh, what are we going to have? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? <clears throat> so the first time that they came down after I had started my recovery, uh, we go to my brother's house and um, my dad's like, Hey, you want to drink? And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm trying to play it off. Like, no, nah, no, nah, probably not tonight. And he's like, what's up? Like, come on. No. Nah, and then, you know, 45 minutes later, Hey, well, you want to drink now? No. And then I told him, you know, I'm actually in recovery. I, I got into a program and he was shocked. Um, so it kind of slowed down a little bit around, you know, asking me, but, uh, a year after that, my brother, my brother quit drinking and oh, he's been wow. sober ever since. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. Yo, I love that. See, that makes me happy, man. Because yeah. you don't even know he was dealing with something in secrecy and just yeah. you making that shift gave him all the empowerment in the world to say, if my bro could do it. I could do it. And that was your ace before you met your wife. It was you two chilling, yeah. right? All right. Oh, yeah. That's incredible, man. Oh, yeah. man. So, um, all right. So you said it's going on 13 years. So how do you cope now? What's your tips and tools now? What do you use to stay, to keep it fresh? And do you struggle with the ideas of drinking or is it totally like out your system? Yeah, I, I don't struggle with it so much anymore. Um, every now and then, like, uh, I'll see, like, one of the beers that I used to like, um, you know, I'll see it and I'll get that tingle back here in the back of the tongue, remembering the taste. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, it's not an option. It's not an option. And when I started my recovery, I, I went to, to the substance abuse program and I had my first one-on-one -on -one with the counselor and he says, so you want to quit drinking, huh? And I go, yeah, absolutely. I need to. And I go, but I just don't know what to do. And he says, all you have to do is just say no. Mm -hmm. And I, I go, that's it. I go, are you, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I can go home now. And he's like, no, you can't go home, but it's just that easy. He goes, every time you have a thought that you want to drink, you have to tell yourself, no, I, no, thank you. I can't do it. Or if somebody offers you, that's the first thing you have to say is no. Um, so now I tell myself that every now and then, you know, I'll, I remember, I remember the stories from the, from the, from the, um, from the meetings, you know, right. I, I play a lot of those back. There's one in particular where, uh, one older guy was saying that uh, he would wake up with the shakes. Oh, I had it. I had it. Yeah. He Bad. said, I would have to put down some vodka. He said, I have to put down some vodka just to stop the shakes first thing in the morning just to go to work, you know? And uh, I that think man. about that guy a lot. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's but, I mean, now it's, way. yeah. It, I mean, but it's, it's, it's out of my system. I believe it's out of my system, you know? Um, I see some people drinking and I'm just like, you know, Hey man, you know, you probably don't, you don't really need to drink. You know, um, I'm trying to get into people's business so much. I want to help them out, but 
you know, I don't want to pry into them. Yeah, it's a it's the live and let live um, mentality where we learn that in AA and stuff that, you know, the world goes on. Unless you see someone really problematic and they're close enough to where you could confide, I tend to, like, leave people because I never want to come across, like, and I, especially having a platform. Sober is dope is not about, hey, alcohol is bad for everyone and you should never drink. That's not the message. The message is if you are if alcohol is problematic in your life and you are allergic to it and it's poisonous to you and it's disrupting your world and you can't stop, right? It's that big thing we have to qualify it with. If you cannot stop drinking once you start, then maybe you should look into some type of help. And it's not our fault, man. You got to understand there's multiple reasons why someone comes into addiction. You can, it's, it's not always clear that you're born that way. It could be that some type of trauma um cause you to fall into this addiction it could be mental health related it could be from um it, from it runs the gamut from a divorce a breakup losing a job a death in the family um just you naturally are depressed being exposed to alcohol at a young age mm-hmm. um alcohol usually stems from some form of pain that addiction i should say the addiction of alcoholism and drugs stem from pain people seeking an escape and then for most of us like me i am seriously allergic to it it's just like someone may have a peanut allergy and another person might be a late relate alcohol i'm allergic to it my doctor explained this to me clearly he said kid you cannot drink because whatever the other, so a normal person has in their brain that turns off the hormone or that signal that, all right, I had enough. You don't have that. It's non-existent. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you drink this thing, it's going to be no neural mechanism to stop to say enough is enough. You're going to keep drinking and keep drinking until you hit total rock bottom and die. You won't stop unless someone helps you. Is that real? Now, there's for, for people like us, that have those issues. I remember 12 years and 10 years ago, I was sitting down saying, what's wrong with me by myself though? Like, I'm like, I know I fell off. I lost my house. I lost all of this stuff. I I, I mean, my rock bottom was serious. I lost my career. I lost my wow. relationship. I was losing my relationship with my mother. Family members stopped talking to me. I went from graduating from college, $1.5 million brownstone, successful, doing all of this stuff to roaming the streets, literally asking someone for change within a matter of a couple of years. Um, and it was started from depression. And I would say, and, and, and I knew I was like, damn, I don't know why when I wake up, I feel so rattled that I need a drink to feel normal. Like what yeah. your friend had with those shakes, that's real, bro. I'm talking about, I'm glad you never got there, but I'm talking about my nervous system was so destroyed from alcohol and smoking cigarettes because they went one and it was one and one and the same mm-hmm. drink, smoke, drink, smoke that like like if this pen just hit the table like that my whole body is shake i couldn't eat, like i mean i feel like somebody just wow. hit me with a right hook it was something that small somebody beeps the horn i'm rattled cuz my nervous system was totally obliterated and um and then the only thing that would give me a sense of normality was to have to have a drink now if i go get a beer the trigger warning or something my drug of choice was brandy and beer that's my thing i liked it brandy maybe because it was cheap and i could afford it but um i would prefer better stuff but i couldn't at the time because i was drinking so much there's no amount of money i right. had i would have drunk a million dollars under the table yeah. so the, the thing was i realized later that alcohol robs our brain of it it, it damages the dopamine receptors 
by continuously robbing our brain of the available dopamine. And how it does that is as soon as you drink alcohol, your brain somehow is just like removes a latch that releases all that is free floating dopamine into your brain. So that's when we feel high. We're happy. We got this for, oh, but for real, that dopamine was stored for a reason. It has to, it has to be let out in an incremental way. You keep drinking and you wake up the next day, your brain is like, where's our dopamine? We need dopamine to do other things besides be happy. You know, we yeah. it works in conjunction with our... So it's like I used to wake up. I had no dopamine. My dopamine receptors were shot and I had no available dopamine. So guess what will replace that dopamine deficit? Your drug right. of choice. That's the damn right. addiction. That's the science of it, right? So for most people who don't get it, once I understood it, I'm like, that's why I need, I needed literally to drink mm. to feel normal. I felt like I was going to die until I had a drink and that shit sucks. So don't drink alcohol if you know you have a chemical dependency, history of family with chemical dependency, or you, you know you can't stop. So that's my little two bit. But yeah. this is your interview, not mine, but I'm glad we could kick it. I want to talk to you about something incredible that you did, right? You just didn't stop at not drinking. You actually took that and you used that as a platform to transform your body and your life. So you went from being over 300 pounds to 155 pounds with 10% body fat. That's incredible, bro. I mean, first of all, you should like on the side do fitness coaching and get a book and do, do all that. All right, good, I good. I run, with, run with that. Yeah. Can you give us? Can you give us some game on that? Because we need like uh, right now, even me. Uh, the most people when they find their recovery, we come, we go into the AA, we eat the donuts, we drink the coffee, we 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 we're, we're leaning on cigarettes. We're just doing, we're, we're, we're eating everything because our brain is yeah. healing. It's natural. Your brain is healing, right? So you need to eat. Your brain needs a lot of energy, but then that leads to being pre-diabetic, overweight, and getting, we're feeling like, okay, now that I'm not drinking, but I'm overweight and I don't feel too good. How can we wheel that back? Can you give us as like our in-house expert on just how do we transform our body? What's your steps? And can you just talk to us about that? Yeah. I mean, I think it all starts with the mindset, right? I mean, that's it's pretty strong already that we have that ability to to say, okay, this is not healthy for me. I I'm gonna cut this out of my life as far as starting a recovery. Um, so that's that's right away you got a strong mindset enough to put that behind you, not to pick up another habit, right? Uh, uh, one that's gonna benefit you, one that's gonna make you healthier. And and I use that as as the gym, um, the gym, and meal prepping, um, instills discipline control what you what you're eating right it's so it, for me it's um it's a mindset it's a mindset program okay. um and my coach says that um you know addicts and people in recovery are the best type of people for this because they've already done so they've already committed so much as far as hurting themselves right um having that mental state to stay i'm i'm cool with being in this situation just jump into another healthy habit um, ah, I like that. So, I mean, for me, it was uh, it was kind of like, I, well, when I first when I when I got down really lean, it was after a, the, my work accident. Right, I had a work accident, and uh, I was already in the gym for a while, about three years, and I had lost about seventy pounds there. But after I had my work accident, I I was dealing with this emotional regret, right? This emotional self doubt. Uh, a lot of pain of 
you know, hurting myself, putting my family through this ordeal. Uh, my coworker got hurt. And, and so it was a huge trigger as far as, you know, how did I deal with this stuff last time? Right. It was alcohol, mm -hmm. um, but that was not an option. I mean, it didn't cross my mind at that point. And the only reason that my, my new addiction was, was working out, um, okay. being an addict, you know, uh, addict, alcoholic. I mean, I went from one thing to the other. When I was in recovery, that's one thing that I noticed is like, um, yeah, these guys eat a lot of junk food and smoke a lot of cigarettes, you know? Yeah, right. uh, I don't, I, I don't want to smoke. Um, I found myself drinking a lot of soda and eating a lot of sweets. And my counselor was saying that your body, um, is craving that sugar, that sugar that, you know, from the alcohol. Um, so I was trying to different things. I was, um, I got into like hiking a lot. I, I was buying a bunch of hiking gear. Like I just took it from one addiction to the next. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when my wife, when me and my wife were going to have a 15 year wedding anniversary, like a huge party, um, she said, well, I mean, we're, we're going to do it. Let's, let's go to the gym and let's, let's lose some weight. So we started with that. And then it, it really ramped up after, after my work accident. Um, wow. Okay. So I, I used, yeah, I used the gym as, as my therapy, um, before I started going to actual mental therapy. Okay. That's beautiful. We, well, you know, yeah. one electrical accident is no joke. So I'm glad you, you go there and, um, yeah. you know, that sounds heavy and it happened twice, right? You had two. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. When, uh, the first time, uh, the first time that it happened, um, that's when I was at my heaviest, I was at, uh, yeah, near 300 pounds. Um, right before I had quit drinking, it was, uh, I think, um, a few months before I had quit drinking, I had, uh, I had made an electrical contact that me and another partner were electrocuted with uh, wow. 2,700 volts. Wow. Damn, yeah, man. And, uh, <clears throat> He got it pretty bad. He he had burns on his hand and grounded his elbow, and uh, I had some burns on my leg. Um, but I I didn't know how to deal with that pain, that emotional distraught, right? That the guilt that I was holding. Um, so I dove deeper into the bottle. Um, that's when I I kind of got worse my drinking. Um, and after that is when I had the super. I was at the Super Bowl party and. Um. That was February, and uh, that was August. So maybe about six months, six wow. months after my accident, wow. started drinking a lot more. Um, I was scared, you know. I was scared. I was an apprentice, like I said, and uh, I was off of work for one month. But I had to go back and do the same thing. And man, I was I was scared. That's scary. It's scary. I, I get it. It's scary. Yeah. So um, dealing with that, not knowing how to deal with it, not not talking about it really not talking about it with anybody at work like okay well you know you learn from it and, and that's what my self-talk was saying you know you learn from it you know not what to do next time and um you know let's just keep pushing uh but the second time around i was still dealing i was having those same emotional problems the same regret and i was i used the gym as my therapy and then after a while i was like man this is not enough because uh, now i was having nightmares um, I was rethinking my whole line of work. Like, dude, this is twice this has happened to you, you know? Um, so I ended up going to see a psychiatrist and uh, that helped out a lot too, you know, helped realize what I did right. 
Uh, it wasn't all my fault. And it also helped me deal with uh, a lot of those pains that I held on as a, as a, you know, as a teenager, as, um, you know, a young man all the way up until, up until today, you know, it's given me tools that help me communicate better with my wife, my, my, my kids. Um, so I think that that work accident, man, was a, it was a total life changer for me. That That's what really got me ramped up as far as, um, well, when I was going to the gym, it was just, just to try and get the pain out, you know, just right. to try and work through it, hit another set, hit some more reps. And, and it really did a transformation on my body. I gained a lot of good muscle. Um, and then I was starting to get compliments from people that were asking me, you know, what are you doing? And, uh, Finally, I, I had a, I found a coach. It was a coach that I had been following online and Instagram and YouTube. And I reposted one of his posts and tagged him in it. And he says, yeah, let's get you on the team. Um, so I sent him a message and I said, yeah, I want to do it. And he goes, okay, well, here's how I train you and this and that. And I go, well, I mean, I know how to work out. You know, I know how to meal prep and eat. Um, I said, what I want to do is help. I want to help people, man. You know, the way your videos inspire and help other people. They helped me get through some of these dark times. I said, I, I want to learn how to do that for everybody else. So uh, that's what I did. I invested in my first time investing in myself, you nice. know, monetarily. And um, I paid him some money to teach me his program. And he, he said, okay, this is what you're going to eat. He set my, my limits on food. He gave me the workouts. And yeah, man, I, I got down to probably 7% body fat. I lost. 45 pounds on his program alone wow and, that's uh, incredible yeah. oh, we're, we're gonna deep dive into some of that offline because I, I, I would like to learn more about that because the thing is it's just that, that i think that's the thing putting limits on how much you eat because i mean you could do intermittent fasting and still eat a whole bunch of food during your little window you have but having the discipline and saying this is no matter how good it tastes and no matter how hungry yeah. i am this is what i'm gonna eat and that's hard that's hard and I mean, I'm a health nut. I could talk, I could go all day, but I know from experience, just limiting yourself on how much you eat and staying on a strict schedule and discipline is tough. So yeah. that's incredible. Yeah, because yo, your IG pictures, you jack, man. I could see yo, you. <laughs> I was like, yo, and 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 that's why I wanted to really talk about to give hope to people that it's just not. You know, our friend Martin John Garcia, um, he has a podcast called Recover Yourself, um. Um, the recover yourself podcast and he always say well you're recovering from addiction but what are you recovering to right yeah. always asking that question like what's the next stage like I, I, my thing on soap is dope is creativity um don't um finding your creativity using that to harness and creativity to beat the boredom finding your creative calling again whether it's helping people teaching people working out training um art if you were you know if you into music if you're into whatever you're into if you want to write use your sobriety as this little superpower to harness this creativity and to go out there and make something or contribute something mm -hmm. back into the world yeah. and that truly helps um so yeah so do you have a system a course or anything that people could check out yeah, um, yeah, they could just hit me up on Instagram. I, I kind of lay it all out. Every, you know, every time I get a message, it, I, I message everybody back. Okay. Um, it's yeah, just I'll reps and double time on Instagram. It's um, there's, I do like three months, six months, twelve year. Um, yeah, definitely. It's I, I've got like a dozen clients right now, man. And there's one guy, one of my proudest, you know, um, 
my proudest moments with, with my clients is uh, he was telling me, yeah, you know, he's overweight. He wants to lose some weight, but his biggest thing is, you know, he's drinking like a six pack a day. And I said, absolutely, man. Like, you know, I've been there, you know, and that's, that's kind of how I, how I try and um, bring people in to, to understand, man, you can change, you can change these bad habits. You know, I've, I've been there with overeating, with alcoholism, you know, self-loathing, not feeling good about myself. Um, and then I, like you said, you know, I took this bad addiction and, and put all this, put it all into a good one. Um, and it benefits you, you know, it's going to make you, it's going to make you healthier. It's going to make you lose weight. It's going to make you feel better because you look better. Um, but my client, man, he was like, he goes, he sends me a message. He goes, dude, he goes, I've, you know, one weekend, I think it was two weeks. He goes, I've lost eight pounds. He goes, but I, I quit drinking. He's like, I don't drink anymore. He goes, I got rid of all the beer in my fridge. And i like, for me, man, like that was a, that was a bigger win than, you know, than anything that happens on the scale, man. You know? Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, and that, you didn't even have to push win. him. Yeah. That's a big win. You didn't even have to yeah. push him just by uh, letting him know as a coach, I've been there and I understand, right? Like I, I, yeah. I get it. I get it. I'm not judging you. It was non-judgment. Um, but you showed him a better way. I love that so much. I love that so much. So you mentioned, and this is important. I want to talk about this real briefly because on Sober's Dope, we love to talk about the connection between mental health and our addiction. And I think there's a disconnect in some places. Good treatment centers include these two things together. Um, mm -hmm. So when you went to see, are you still um, seeing a psychiatrist or are you stopped? Are you good? Or are you still going to ongoing therapy? No, I, I still go. Um, That's great. I, I That's go, excellent. I go, I think, um, I don't have like a set schedule uh, where I was before uh, when I was just, when I had first started, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going every week. I'm going every two weeks because um, I knew uh, I'm, I have to go to back to work soon and I have to get over this fear. I have to get over this hump. Um, but now I, I think the last time I went was about two and a half weeks ago, three weeks ago. So I'm going about every every month now, at least once That's a month. That's beautiful. That's beautiful, man. Um, can you describe some of the benefits of going to ongoing therapy? And is like for anyone out there that's on the fence or think is fake or doesn't work or is a taboo, can you explain the benefits that you have, your personal benefits? Yeah, for sure. Um, definitely. Personally, for me, it's one of the biggest things I take from it is journaling. Um, uh, she said, you know, write down your emotions, write down your feelings. Uh, and, and I journal every morning, every morning. That's part of my process. Wake up, um, have protein, read a book, journal, then work out, then it's off to work. Right. Um, so journaling is a huge one. Um, she gave me a bunch of tools to help communicate, um, communicate my feelings, communicate my emotions. And sometimes, sometimes it's a little bit too much for my wife now because, you know, she's, we've been married 18 years and, you know, for the first 16, 17 years, you know, I, I would be emotionally shut off. You know, she would, she would tell me what her problems were or what she think, what she thought we needed to work on, on relationship, on our relationship. And I would always seem non-receptive because I would just listen and not respond, you know, and now I'm just like, I'm an open book, you know, I, I won't hold anything back. And sometimes it's a little bit too much for her. She's like, I'm not used to all this, you know, like, right, right. Um, but I think the first, the the biggest thing that like you said is, is the taboo, man. Like, you know, a lot of us are too, 
too prideful to to say that we we need that help right um i think that's 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 another that's like another breaking the barrier in your mind is like you know if you need the help there's no shame in saying i need the help right um but i think as far as going back to to the benefits for myself yeah it helped me realize kind of it helped me deal with with where i think this addiction came from you know um from from having a broken heart as a kid you know seeing my parents split up with with wow. without any without any um it was like a surprise right right um without any without any indication of you know mom and dad are having problems <clears throat> um and and then it's helped me trying to it helped me talk to them a whole lot right like finally have enough bravery to say hey you know what what the hell really happened with you guys you know um let's let's talk about this um you know a lot of the things that you did that my parents did when i was a kid you know that had i think had a direct effect on on my alcoholism right on my substance abuse you know they normalized it it seemed like a normal thing to do every day every weekend um you know my dad would get together with my uncles and they'd have drinks you know they stay up all night drinking and the oh, shit that looks fun dad let me have a puff of that cigarette you know he's the first one to give me a puff of cigarette first one to give you a taste of beer um so i mean i can kind of i'm not saying that's that's the reason why but you know there's some there's some questions that need to be answered and you know finally i finally had enough bravery in myself to to kind of stand up to you know the parent and be like hey you know you might have had a hand in this absolutely um, absolutely and i commend you yeah. for that that's excellent because again you you went you do you did the work you're doing the work you went back to all the way back to your childhood and say well what happened in my life to make me so predisposed to this addictive behavior right it's a it's a mixture work was the catalyst to kind of get you it, it took it all the way it amplified the mental health things uh, put the guilt on you drank more eventually it caused you to say stop but this behavior started from somewhere you have to look at it and stuff and it's not that we're causing blame but things are sometimes generational cultural and um, we we kind of we have mirror neurons. That's what they call it. So we as, mm. as humans, we're going to mirror what we see, especially as children. Right? right. And if our parents don't frame it in a way where it's like this is for adults and you can't abuse it and like all of that. It, I'm old. I'm 43. I'm old school with something about the older men and that rite of passage where they give you that first drink. It was their way of saying you're in the club. You're a man now. But it was still. Yeah. It could it leads to problems later when you add a tinge of pain into that, right? Remember how we went back and talked about the pain being some sort of precursor to addiction. So yes. you're as exposed to it as a young age. You saw it with your mirror neurons. You're taking this all in. This is normal. And then there's a breakup or a split that creates isolation and pain within you. And then as you grow up and you deal with that pain, you start drinking and you're dealing with all these emotions and it's this mental health stuff. So, you know, um, Daniel, it's amazing how you touched on so much today. You talked about addiction, 
mental health, dealing with trauma, the work accident. Trauma is one of the main causes of the neuroplasticity, depression, the fear that I can't even imagine being electrocuted, responsible for someone else. And look, I hope you let go of all that guilt because it's not your fault, bro. Like, I know it's tough and sometimes we can't just carry it all on our own. So, you know, let that go. And um, but thank you. And then how you took the mental health and all of that. And then you add the transformation, the body transformation um the discipline using the discipline from the both the addiction right where discipline when you're an addict you're very disciplined at being an addict oh yeah but then and when you're in recovery you're disciplined too because we know like you said drinking is not an option right and um and you applied that to your your coaching your transformation your food restrictions and stuff like that uh, being on a strict diet is almost impossible for some people. So you're giving us hope. I love that. So Daniel, can you, this is how we wrap soap is dope. Can you tell everyone where they could find you and any parting words or advice to the recovery community? The floor is yours. Absolutely. Um, Facebook, Daniel Spencer on Instagram reps and double time. Um, you can look me up for coaching. I, I, you know, I call myself a life coach, right? Um, I'm not, a fitness coach i'm not a nutrition coach um i'm a life coach uh, i've been through some shit and we all go through it um there's positive ways to handle it and the negative one is always seems like the easiest um, but it's never the best you uh there's lots of options for you to get help out there whether that be through you know social programs or your employer um your friends other people that are in recovery this podcast if you need help, you reach out. Um, I think a lot of us have a big stigma as, as far as pride and ego that we don't want to seem weak. We don't want to seem weak when asking for help. Uh, but to me, there's nothing stronger than a person that's willing to admit they have a problem and they need that help, guys. You can do it. You can do it. We've done it. We've got over a decade plus on under each of our belts. And, um, and to 10 more, man. Amen. Amen. Well, friends and family, that's a wrap for our amazing episode with Daniel Spencer on the Sober's Dope podcast. I love you all. Don't give up on yourself. Choose yourself and know it's never too late to be amazing. I love you all and we'll catch you guys on the other side. Peace and love.